welcome to a bonus episode of There Will Be Dungeons. We do these on the monthly and we do it for you, the fine supporters out there listening. Everyone else gets it, but they get it way late. You guys get the cutting edge version of the file. And we thank you from the bottom of our hearts for being supporters and for letting us do this. Uh, let's not waste any time because we just finished a, a major arc, an entire season and run of the Delvers. And uh, it's a big deal. So I know we have a lot of questions. Let's throw it to Kristen. Kristen, let's get going. All right. First one is more of a, I hope you guys know this fact because this has come up quite a bit. Uh, hey guys, thank you for the amazing run with the guild. Your show is the highlight of my week. Now to my question. Did you know there is a real snake island? It's off the coast of Brazil and no one is allowed to visit because there are so many venomous snakes. Whoa. Mind blown. Is that true? That's crazy. Yeah, it actually exists. And it's you'd have to look up the number of snakes per square mile. It's obscene. So the actual name is Ilha de Queme da Grande. Pretty sure I nailed that. Um, also yep. known as Snake Island, island off the coast of Brazil, Atlantic Ocean, administered part of the municipality of the state of Sao Paulo. Uh, the island's small, only forty-three hectares or one hundred sixty-three or one hundred six uh, acres, and has a temperate climate. Uh, I'm trying to find the part about. Oh, here we go. The island was uh, the only home of the critically endangered uh, venomous Balthrops insurilis. Which is a golden lance lance head pit viper. Yeah, some people pay good money for that. Yeah, they do. And they uh they only eat birds. So Oh, that was my question. Is yeah. what they ate. But yeah. hey, if, if if birds visit, then Yeah, you know. then you're it's lunch for everybody when the birds visit. Um, birds out. I guess apparently there was some rising sea level issues that were adding more pressure to their population, but they're still down there. But anyway, yeah, it's full of uh, venomous snakes. Although it looks like that's the main snake. Uh, oh, they're all... Okay, the island is also home to a smaller population of Dispus albifrons, a non-venomous snake species that coexists with the with the bad ones. So there's about 4,000 of those snakes. So what I'm saying is I'm never going to Snake Island is what I'm saying. It says here the population is 430,000 snakes. Oh, that's more than I th- thought. A lot of snakes. Oh, the golden lanceheads. There's only four thousand, so that's the that's the one that's having trouble. But yeah, four hundred thirty thousand otherwise of the other snakes there, and that's that's insane. That's too many snakes. Also, how'd they get there? What's going on with this island? Did it split off from Pangaea, and a little chunk went out there, and they're like, "Oh no, we were on this part when it fell off, and we can't go anywhere." It's probably what happened. I'm going with that. <laughs> they were having a snake convention when Pangea split. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, the way I look at um, Kyle's version of snake, snake Island was it was such a fun MacGuffin. Not MacGuffin, because it's not really a MacGuffin. But this idea that we went to a place that we didn't actually go to in real time. And then it kept rearing its head. And then, you know, we'd have memories from it. And I thought that was a really great arc. Kyle, are you proud of your Snake Island, uh, the way you implemented it, instead of it just being just a place to go? Instead, you made it like a place in our heads, kind of? Oh, heck yeah. Like that and the the montage episodes, I think, did a lot to fill out the Delvers and make that time we spent. Because we spent, you know, 10 months playing consistently, yeah. which is a lot of time in D&D. Right. But my personal favorite part of so many stories is the day-to-day job, like Ghostbusters. It's great that you have a movie. But I'd almost rather just watch them do the daily stuff. That's why Loki frustrated me so much. I just want to see him like work. Just go out and, and just do normal missions. It went straight to the campaign. And I just love that aspect of the work and Joe busting ghosts. Yeah. So so Snake Island eventually was gonna become this whole like Indiana Jones like big thing, but it was just way more fun to constantly add to it with time. I think that, that- it was yeah. It was built up so much, too, that once you reach a certain critical mass of building something up, you can never go there because it will never live up to expectations. So that's kind of how you do that, where it's everything you could po- anybody could possibly imagine it to be. But because you never go there, it maintains that. So it can still be just as awesome. Yeah, I think it was a really brilliant move. Um, the way that you the way you implemented it, and there's still mysteries about it that that make me intrigued. Like there was world building there, and that's my favorite kind of storytelling. So, I guess good job, Kyle, on that. I like you. Yeah. 
All right, on to the next question. How did Paylor feel about Splendor Belt casting guidance on himself before making a religion <laughs> check to get down from the ledge in the Goggles <laughs> Granny episode? Wouldn't he have technically asked Paylor to guide him in asking Paylor for guidance? I mean, technically, yes, but I don't know. If well, it gives you a bonus, right? Yeah, but there's two things going on here. One is me being a little loosey-goose with with abilities in the moment and not you know and not really applying it to the broader lore of what a a cleric might typically do or might typically ask of Paylor if that was their chosen deity instead he's a little bit in the moment of like you know well, this worked last time I touched myself again and works like he's just he doesn't he's not thinking that far ahead he's not been in particular very pious which is again a little hilarious that he's a cleric perhaps the most pious you know bunch in in D&D but he's he rolls he rolls at his own tone and I think he I think he's kind of a a paylor helps those who help themselves kind of guy so there take that there's your religion check (laughs) and yeah I think it's incredibly on brand honestly that he would have been like paylor I need your help um I'm going to ask you for something and it would be really great if you answered (laughs) Well, and that's that's what we call modern courtesy. You text and say, "Hey, call you in the next ten minutes," mm-hmm. and yeah. then you call. Yeah, that's a good point. So, if anything, it was just Paler being like, "All right, I'll pick up when you when you call." Yeah, yeah, basically that. That's the that's that is that is basically it. And he really would feel like his own self reliance uh, was would be judged by pay like it's not that he doesn't think paylor's not there and he's not doing his part but i think he he thinks that if he doesn't do all he can do first then he's probably not worthy of any help beyond that 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 would be his attitude i loved how by complete accident when ben was on he brought in this element of imposter syndrome or self-doubt to splendor belt's religion yeah because every time you're like, oh, God of knowledge, thank you so much for this blessed day. <laughs> yeah, it was a real stark contrast, but uh, I don't know. In the end, I, I think Paylor played it the way, or Paylor, uh, Splendor Belt played it the way he would play it. And, and uh, you know, he's not looking to be the most, again, pious, you know, dude of the priesthood in the room. He's going to be sort of like ah, just getting things done sort of guy and you know he knows there's a hand in it but he's not like you know begging for it all the time or constantly you know throwing praise that way i think this reflects me i don't trust people who do that in general like the only people who are are super religious that i that i have a lot of trust and and uh and um sort of admiration for are the ones who are not up yelling at anyone else or telling anyone else what to do or telling them how great they are I like people who just quietly go about doing great stuff in their lives, whether it's very quietly helping somebody who has no food or, you know, helping some kids out who need it because they have a rough family life or whatever. Whatever the thing is you're doing, you're doing it just because it's great to do it and you're not doing it for any kind of show. You don't care who sees it. You'd prefer not to even be noticed. You just go about doing it. That to me is somebody who's truly living up to their religious standards and, um, that means, you know, drop the pretense, drop the show, just be, you know, be who you are and try to do good. And that's enough, you know, like that. I don't know. That is, that's sort of my attitude in life. And I think he'd, ref, he, if there's any part of me that's in him, I think that's maybe the biggest part that, and I do like a good potato, but other than that, it's mostly that. All right, next question. Are the Delvers unknowingly... Now, this is kind of like a past thing. I think it got answered, but if there are any behind-the-scenes things that can play into this. Are the Delvers unknowingly raising the big baddie with bringing his organs together from the urns? And doesn't Ko have the magic spear or lance from his bag of holding? It's I think I wound up with a bunch of magic spears in that bag. That bag was full by the end. Yeah, the uh, the... The Spear of Radiant Lance, or the Lance of Radiant Lance, uh, didn't end up getting used in any way. So if it had been, like, really embraced and everyone's like, oh, man, this is the best weapon ever. I can't wait to wield this. Then maybe that would have gone on to be more important. But that's kind of the nature of how I play D&D. The players put importance on something. It becomes more important. 
But you're absolutely right. They brought together the organs and the urns. The way to think of it is that they had to do that to go through the official door that was guarded by the architect and designed to enter the Dawnless Dunes. There were many other entrances which were accessible through tunnels and and ways monsters would go and the Kalazar used to travel his spirit about. But by gathering the urns, they proved to the architect they could enter and then actually defeat the big bad guy once and for all. I just assumed it was the Castlevania 2 approach. You know, you got to put Dracula back together so you can kill him good and proper. There you go. Very true. I like that. I mean, that should always be our goal. Everyone's goal should be put Dracula back where he came from. (laughs) Dracula, go back. Go back. Go back. (laughs) All right. Loving the final episodes, guys. Was the holy censure of potato bashing a reward for Splinterbelt's handling of his many and various interpersonal situations? Or did you have it planned as a fail-safe just in case Scott pocketed the 20,000 gold instead of buying a plus one something with his face on it. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, you'd have to tell me. I don't know. I was never going to do that, but was there a fear that I was? It's true. Like, if you had gone and spent all of your money to, like, just completely outfit yourself with some magical itemry yeah there would be little reason for me to give you a magic item as your reward yeah and i likely would have scrambled to find to come up with something else right however knowing our time together yeah. i knew you weren't going to go buy plus three maces and spend all your money on that <laughs> so the the magical sensor became the prize for splendor belt cleaning up all of his loose ends yeah. and in that minotaur moment it was a single persuasion role that even got the minotaurs on his side Ooh. Oh, I didn't Otherwise, realize they would have that. said no. Oh, I didn't realize it was down to that one roll. I remember the roll being really good, but I didn't. I, I guess I assumed it was one way or the other, and my persuasion was either going to affect their attitude in a positive or negative way. But it, but they were coming no matter what. That's interesting. No idea. I'm glad they did. I like the Minotaur side stuff. Just anything to do with Chad Brad. That's some of my favorite stuff of the entire Delvers run. And I think it was it all came down to your characterization of them. Um, they're normally kind of, you know, boring and standard, but, uh, that Chad Brad is, he's memorable. <laughs> the farm was really fun yeah. and, and a cool way to bring in multiple bits. In fact, I was looking through my old notes and during the final fight with the Roper in season one, I mentioned, I think it was to He saw a hag as well as a Kuotoa and a Bullywug watching the fight. That hag was the one that had the, the tower later on in season two. And the Bullywug was, uh, uh, muck muck, yeah, and the koto was uh, Gleepoma. Mm-hmm. So it all, it all, everyone it all came back out. to the farm. But is that an example of you said earlier, like players determine where you put your importance? Um, you know, as as DM, was that a case of like, I mean, the the farm probably came out of nowhere for you. Like you're like, what? Okay, I guess we're doing a farm, but it became a pinnacle of of story and. Uh, uh, a whole, had its own full side story with multiple characters and, and other stuff that that fascinated me because I when I was first like you know want to grow potatoes and want to do it on a farm I just thought you'd say oh boy here we go we're gonna do some you know some weird jumping around on that but it's gonna be real minor but instead you made it like a real backdrop yeah it was it was really fun to do that and it tied into the corruption of the land that was going on with the noble hollow and you kind of being on the edge of it and eventually it all worked out that Splendorbelt was invested in saving the city, saving his farm and saving his employees even from this evil. Mm-hmm. And there's very much a world where and it happens a lot in like cartoons in particular, where everyone's a bit more. Let's all let's all hold hands for friendship because only one person's on the main quest. I see. And that could have very easily been co and, and just everyone's like, yeah, yeah, this is what there is to do. Right. Well, hopefully it wasn't too much for the other two where you guys are like, holy shit, I've had it with this farm. Wait, no, no, I love the farm. Yeah, I would say the only disappointment, but then it turned into something that I thought was endearing, was I was like, oh man, Scott's going to rebuild this thing. And I thought we were going to go a route of like creating our own base there because <laughs> oh. Kyle gave you so many like, you can build this, you can build this. And I was like, oh, are we going to build like a 
like a base of operations and fortify it. And like, I was wondering, like, is the finale going to be like a big assault on Splendor Belt's farm? And, you know, you got to be fortified for it. And then you're like, no, I'm still sleeping in the ruined tower. No roof over my head. And I was like, I don't think we're going to do that. If Kyle really adheres to it, like we're in trouble. Yeah. Like that whole thing. I wondered how you were going to handle that because, you know, I was in no hurry to have any big hours of the show spent on us, you know, rebuilding a farm so much. But, uh, and also, you know, one thing we didn't do, we had a whole chunk of time pass, uh, between seasons and I I guess that was me, but I opted not to have any of that work done. You know what I mean? Like it was still just sort of a bombed out looking shelter or whatever. By the time we finished, I suppose I could have like, you know, I could have colluded with Kyle and said, all right, well over that, that six months or that three months, whatever it was, I would have built a, you know, a proper shack home out there for one. And, you know, we'd have some, we would have converted some of this into like employees quarters or something. We could have gone crazy with it, but you know, he also had work to do. In fact, what I prefer instead is that I was, the character is overworked and that meant that it, the priority as much as he loved doing stuff at the farm, it was the priority was always, well, we got to go out and do this mission. And so that put him in a place where he was negligent, uh, with his employees and that ha- that became part of the, of the thing because, you know, I didn't have time to focus in there. At least, you know, Splendor Belt didn't. So I don't know. I thought that was really organic and turned out to be a fun arc for the character where he got, you know, kind of overwhelmed with guilt at one point because he realized he had been, he'd been leaving those guys, you know, left hanging out to dry, I guess. There was kind of a, a sacrificial, side to it though that i think played well into the environment of the cleric because you did supply the city during its time of rapid inflation Mm -hmm. and invasion from these like kingdom corporations to run the dungeon stuff you supplied the town with cheap cheap potatoes that you didn't price gouge so in one (laughs) you know very short scene we talked about how there was a huge line of people including guildmates who were lined up to eat and purchase splendor belt potatoes because they couldn't afford anything else yeah and so it ended up being, you know, it ended up being a, a force for good. But but John's right. Like much like the the players enhance the thing. If you guys had gone full, let's fortify the farm and main base it. There's absolutely a world when then that could have become a big thing. In fact, at one point, I even sent a mummy, uh, a deathlock by stats to fight Scott on his farm, and. It, it was defeated and taken strictly to the guild, and it wasn't really questioned that the farm was in any sort of danger. Oh, yeah. But I, <laughs> I did forcibly build a barn because there's no way to, for lack of a better word, hatch the potatoes <laughs> to get them sprouting okay. without putting them in the dark. So we needed, at the very least, to make the farm make sense, we needed that barn. Yeah, that makes sense. Wow. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun. I'm going to miss that part of it uh, as we move to go back to the waste for a while. I'm going to miss that aspect of it. But um, yeah, there's always Nash's inventory where he keeps all kinds of weird shit. So it'll be fine. <laughs> Nash's farm. Yeah, it's a <laughs> little pocket farm. It's in his pants. <laughs> yep. uh, why is Ko's daughter immune to the drone? She is a type of half elf. Because it's a little dark. Hmm. <laughs> is ultimately what it comes down to. I did, you know, I did add a twinge of threat there towards the end where she started experiencing some of the dreams that Anathala was having throughout her life mm-hmm. or, you know, time and Atomer there, and which eventually led to her comatose and kind of mind control business by the Kalazar. But she was basically off limits. There were many opportunities along the way for me to kidnappered up the ante and there was definitely a world where in a in an environment story where Ko wasn't so single-minded to save his wife that his wife would have been taken down to the Kalazar's pyramid and that would have been a huge part of the climax but after he was so dedicated to freeing her to keeping her safe to being there as much as possible to giving her even a dagger to protect herself it would not have been fair and it would have been extremely cheap of me as DM to say, and I kidnapped her anyway, and your daughter's gone. Ah, I'm so villainous. Right, and we even defeated him in that dream. So, like, what would have been the point of the dream defeat? Right, because if you guys didn't defeat him in the dream, then his power grows, and she just gets up in the middle of the night and walks off and wanders in the Underdark on her own. And 
that that is fair because I had won, but I lost and I had to give up that line. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's cool. And, you know, I I will say as a player, not that I asked for it. Um, I think it's just the case of Kyle reading his his players and the situation and the tone of his story very well. Um, but as somebody who, you know, kind of picked the the story arc that he did because I was, you know, going through I, I think having a baby when we started. Yeah. Wasn't even born yet. And then and then having a little baby and being a new dad and all of that. I think it probably would have given me legitimate anxiety if stuff kept happening to uh Penny throughout the story. So I'm grateful that Kyle made the decision he made. All right, got a couple of general questions. The first one, with the Delvers drawing to a close for now and the wastes on the horizon again, what, if anything, are you doing to prepare to jump back into the old characters? Especially curious for Kyle going from DM back to a player. Yeah, I'd be curious about your answer about that too, Kyle. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's just like, oh, I'll just be playing and no big deal. The transition's easy, but is it, I don't know. And you feel like you're going to have to go back and go, oh yeah, this is how to ride this other bike. It is um, the the difficulty with jumping back to Varel is more the moment that we left it at mm-hmm. with the the entire elf spaceship exploding and the crash and the and the sky opened up and I think Principal City exploded like there's a lot going on in Varel's mind. But for to prepare for the character, I don't have to prep in the morning, so I'm going to work out before the show, and I love that. I love lifting heavy things before playing Varel. Before going back to, like, if I'm going to play Varel and I feel kind of, like, weak and tired, it doesn't work. But I just go lift a bunch of things. I feel really successful. Ah, I'm in character. All set. Ready to go. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, I what's weird is of all the characters we're going back to, the one I can hear in my head is is Varel. Like, that's the one that immediately jumps out and says, remember me? Like, I can just hear your voice doing it. Um, so my guess is it'll be a, a real smooth transition for that character. I'm a little nervous about Nash because it's been a while. I feel rusty, but uh, we'll see. Stanley just yeah, has to be Do you even Stanley. remember the names of your children? Oh, shit. I have kids. Spoon. <laughs> there's Spoon, right? Isn't there a Spoon? I think Fork. I don't fork? think there's a Spoon. Nash okay. Jr. Fork. Nash Jr. Nash fork. Jr. Pipe. 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 Yeah. Yeah, it's, those are the three. No, wait. There's three plus Nash Jr., right? Or no? Yeah. yeah. Oh, is that right? Four, four kids? kids? Okay. So we got Nash Jr., Fork, pipe. <laughs> what was the other one? I think boot. Boot? Yeah, oh, boot. boot. That's it. Yeah. Fork, pi- fork, pipe, and boot. That's right. Okay, see, I'm good. I'm all set. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't remember much of what was going on, but I will say this wasn't really done to prepare, but, um, you know, just the behind the scenes thing, um, you know, I didn't know. We had a meeting to talk about whether or not we were going to go back to the waste if Bo was ready and all of that like a while back it's been a while and uh i hadn't heard anything from Bo since and we were getting very close to time and i didn't know if he was actually going to come back and we had already teased it and i was like man if he if he ends up saying no or doesn't want to do this and doesn't feel like doing it and we've been saying we're going back to the waste i i thought well maybe i'll dm it and i'll do the waste so I actually started writing a campaign ending to the waste and oh. I've been, I've been doing it for uh, like a couple weeks. And then I talked to Bo, I heard back from him and he was like, yeah, I'm excited to be back. And I was like, awesome. But I'm still kind of in that headspace because I was thinking of it so much. So I feel prepared for the world, but because I won't go back and listen to the episodes, I don't know what was going on right at the very <laughs> end. Yeah, yeah, I don't either. I don't know where we left it, but that everything's be, blown up. That'll That's be part of the fun, right? Like it's all gone. Yeah, it's all everything's gone. But I, you know, I remember Nash, the planet Nash, with this big penis-looking testicle thing, and you know, <laughs> trying, trying, <laughs> trying to figure out what's going on there, and you know, like there's a lot of that stuff I have little big memories of. But um, it'll be fun to be thrown back in and try to figure out our crap. I'm looking forward to it. Are there any lessons you've learned as players from the Delvers campaign you'll take into the wastes and beyond? I mean, it's hard to say without Bo being here as DM of the waste, but um, I kind of hope that we end up in a more, uh, I really like how that was structured. 
And I've said this before in other bonus episodes, and I'll reiterate it. I like the way Kyle structured this thing. It was organized in such a way that the starts and stops of where you could jump in, catch up, jump out were much more defined here. And it isn't to say that a big open-ended thing is a bad idea. It's not, but it's just, uh, you know, I hadn't, in fact, this is the first time I've ever played with this kind of structure where it felt like we had some, not walls, but some semblance of here's where it starts and here's where it ends. And then here's where it starts again. And then here's where it ends. And it just, it didn't, it, it felt very, whatever the opposite of just disjointed is. And for the listeners, I liked that. But also for me as a player, I just really like that structure. So I kind of hope we do some of that with the waste. I don't know how we'll do it or how Bo will do it. But I mean, if it were me, I'd carry that. that just structurally, I'd carry that forward. I think for me, playing Co was uh, a little more, uh, it got a little more away from my personality. Still, Still a lot of me in Co. Uh, you know, not a ton of role playing there, but started to get into. He's not a, you know, turned up in some places, turned down in other places version of me, which is basically what Stanley is. You know, I it's not hard to play Stanley because I just kind of do what I would do, um, with maybe some tweaks here and there and a couple things, you know, in mind as far as his backstory or you know thinking of situations I I wasn't in. So I think getting to RP a little more on a character and not just be a, an amplified version of myself, I think I can now probably bring a little more of that to Stanley comfortably. Um, because, you know, with it being my first real D&D session making that character, I didn't want to go too far off the beaten path, which was the original idea, but then I just, I was bad at it. And I, I didn't think the vision I had for Stanley at the beginning would have done very well with the group dynamic that we had. So I I think ultimately he just kind of wound up being like me, but now maybe we can push him a little further away. Yeah. That's a good point. I'd say that's true about Nash as well. I mean, Varel, what do you, what do you hope to (laughs) tell? Tell us Varel. Yeah. I called you Varel. Jeez. (laughs) You see, you're prepared. You're already prepared. (laughs) Oh Lord. What what Varel hopes the uh, the waste will be like? Yeah, or what what mm. what lessons have you? Yeah, learned what lessons have you learned here? You especially thought. as somebody who ran this, like what lessons do you take to that back to that campaign? I think, and as a character, he would realize this as well. Varel has been wanting to complete the quest of the wastes in such a way that he said yes to the first thing presented. I think Varel will treat the waste more like the job board from Delvers. We'll gather up all the options first, put them in a, uh, out on a table, and then look at all of our options. Because so many times we agreed with a bad guy in the waste or who, someone who became a bad guy or took a, an option that ended up kind of lashing back at us. And it was just, yes, yes, okay, yes. Oh, the, the clowns, yes, the Society of the Clowns, get me out of Sigil. And doing more investigative work first mm. and then pursuing the mission. Oh yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I think I agree with that. Well, I'm, li- I mean, no matter what, I'm totally looking forward to it. Uh, just as a, a way to return to some of that old stuff, I look forward to the return to whatever Delvers looks like in the future. Like it just, it feels like, a, you know, this would be a nice for, this would be a nice distraction to go back to that stuff that we started with. What what about a Grinkeeper to Hope? That's quite the... Uh, so I've learned... So Hope was originally rolled to fill the Road Warrior position. And if you've watched the Road Warrior movies, Mel Gibson's character has a terrible life. It's horribly depressing. Yeah. And he's not a happy individual, even though there's some comedy from other characters interspersed into it. And so when the waste became more than just a road warrior thing and then like everything's dying and everyone's dying and hope brings back people hiding from vampires just so they can die and then the elves die. Like what I've learned is that hope's character is a bit too heavy for me personally to like playing for an extended period of time. Like that kind of character I feel needs to have a very 
a very strong beginning and end because otherwise they just start dragging their feet after a while and, and they become the wet blanket of the group. Uh, so I've learned that coming back to the wastes as a player, I need to infuse a bit more levity into Hope mm. so that she doesn't become that wet blanket because it would be so easy for her to just lay down in the sand to be done with it, you know? I, th I think that's a really strong thing to say because I think, and and I don't know, like, I, I don't know if anybody else has talked to Bo. I, I talked to him and was like, hey, you, you want to chat about anything? Let me know. He's like, I'm good. Um, but, like, I kind of feel like all of our characters are in that place because I'm sitting there going, how does Stanley not just start this going, well, I'm done. Everything is awful. Yeah. I, we failed at everything. <laughs> I lost my. You I've lost every home I've ever had, and it's all I really wanted, and uh, I'm done. Thanks all. Bye. Mm -hmm. Right? And, uh, uh, yeah, I think to give a little taste of it, what I've said, because I've given it a lot of thought. And I think what I've settled on is the more dark humor, none of it matters. Literally none of it matters. So yeah. let's just see it through to the end and see if we're even the ones who can kill the principal, you know? Because Sigil exists. There are literally every variation of us that exists. The ones that are happy, the ones that are sad. Their Tiet Kala survives, the elves survive. It's not the one we're in, but who cares? Yeah. We're just going to do it anyway because yeah. we're stubborn or something. Something. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Uh, finally, how do you feel your Delver's campaign characters would deal with life in the wastes? And for Kyle, which NPC do you think would fare the best in the world of the wastes? <laughs> uh, Greenkeeper would not stand for the wastes. She would be Varel, but like notched up to 20. Oh, man. I don't even know how to answer that. Uh I think Splendor Belt would do what he could with what he had, but he wouldn't be, I mean, he wouldn't be happy there. Like potatoes aren't even going to grow there. That place is barren and horrible. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, how do potatoes grow in the waste? That's yeah. really the big Sand question. Potatoes. Yeah, that's the big kicker. How about Ko? How would he react? I think he'd do well, but I don't think he'd like it. I mean, nobody really likes the idea of the waste, right? But I, I mean, I think his level, his skills, I think would translate very well to the world of the waste. But yeah, yeah, beyond that, I, I mean, he's he doesn't really have a lot of interests that gel with that world. So I, I think he would likewise, he'd be a very unhappy person. Yeah, I could see that he wouldn't like his one would assume his wife's not there. Like your reasons for for, you know, Ko's Ko's passions would be left behind probably. And therefore he'd be super irritated the whole time. I could see that. Yeah, and I think he'd be, you know, I haven't, the funny thing is, is so much got put into Ko as, you know, he's a family man. He's going to take care of his family. He's going to take care of his wife. He's going to take care of his daughter. That's all he, that's all he's out to do. That I, I didn't really stop to think too much about what he has outside of that. I knew kind of by meeting the other, um, Staters and stuff like that that Kyle put in, I kind of found this little niche for him where it was like, you know, you've got the George McFly, like he's definitely the outsider of the group getting picked on, but he's around all the bullies because he's got something that they can get from him. And then over the course of this adventure, finding out, oh, I'm actually way better at everything than they are. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually really good at this. And I feel like if you took the family and the nice part of Ko away, I think you would have somebody who's actually really deadly, really dangerous, and not a very good person. Um, because he'd probably lean a bit more on that satyr side and the fey side, which I deliberately toned down for Ko. Because I was like, no, he gave all that up to be the family man. And I think when you get into that, you've got a character that's just, you know, like purely in the moment like what what's fun right now if i want to go out and you know fight some people that sounds great i'll do that if i want to steal something sure why not i'll take that um and i think that would be an interesting thing to explore but it, it makes for a very different character as for what uh npc mr goodwine Oh yeah. Except he'd except good. he'd be like Mr. Goodwater. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> you come to my spring. You drink from my spring. 
Yeah, it oh seems like the kind God. of character would find a way to set up his little mob shop no matter where he went. Uh, it's so funny you say that because we I don't think we got into it, and I think I might have changed him. I, if I had had Kyle's technology and uh, amazing Godfather impression, that is basically <laughs> who I uh, envisioned as when we did the Path of Glass. Yeah. That is basically who I pictured running the, the giant steamship. Oh. Is exactly oh, nice. that. Oh, and uh, he would he'd be perfect for it. It'd yeah. be so good. Yeah, he he's a great character. Um, I kind of he terrified me to be honest. I don't like I don't like you know protection money and just that whole mob thing kind of freaks me out. But uh, I ended up loving how it worked out. He was sh- sure a big dick in that dream though. Whew. He was horrible. A uh, question about Ko's daughter. What does she look like? Since she is half elf, half satyr, does she have hooves? Very hairy legs? <laughs> this is a or- great question because I didn't ever think of it until I read this question. I went, oh, yeah. Because uh, originally, and I didn't, I, I, you know, obviously this got retconned a little bit. And it was partially my mix up because when I was coming up with Ko, I came up with him a couple times. And and made changes here and there, but Ko was originally going to be half elf and half satyr, and it it's why he had like pointy ears and stuff like that. And it was a whole thing that kind of existed and got dropped, but Penny existed off of that original idea. So I just kind of pictured her as like this little like half elf looking child um, that maybe had a wild like mane of hair, but. You know, with that not being the case, it is true. She probably is a lot more satyr than what I was actually picturing. And I think it'd be adorable if she had little hooves. So I'm going to say she's got little hooves. Nice. I like it. It was one. It's funny because we never did get to see her. We just knew she existed. She was like uh, Norm's wife on Cheers. You never get to see her. That's an old reference. Ask your parents, I guess. Uh, what do you think you'll miss the most about the Delvers campaign? And what are you most looking forward to getting back to the wastes? I don't know. John, you have a good answer for that? Uh, yeah, I do. I think, um, I, I'm definitely going to miss, you know, we, we talked about it a little bit, like the, the structure and expectation, like there, there's something nice about knowing, you know, what's coming to some degree, you know, you, you don't go into a dungeon. This is going to sound like I'm, I'm throwing shade at Bo. I'm not because we're going to give Bo a lot of love at the end of this answer. But like when we went into a dungeon with Bo, it's like, is this going to be two weeks? Mm -hmm. Is this going to be the next year of our lives? Like what, what is this dungeon going to look like? I have no idea. I have no idea how long we're going to be in here what it's going to be, when are we getting out, what we're going to experience, how many times are we going to go through it, how many times it's going to change. Like, there's so much uncertainty. Um, same with leveling up. You know, we we used to make jokes about, because one day with so many episodes, Bo was like, oh, geez, they probably should have leveled by now. And he gave us the level, and we, we did the math, and we were like, wait a minute, we just leveled twice in one day. And uh, so there was a lot of stuff that was just kind of up in the air because of the very like improv unstructured nature of the waste campaign. Mm -hmm. And um, I think having that expectation of like, you know, this adventure is going to be about, you know, it's going to be about a day to take care of this, maybe Mm -hmm. two, maybe two weeks, um, you know, of doing this. And knowing that, okay, this is what the XP gains are. And, and I actually, I thought I was going to hate doing XP leveling, and I ended up leveling, loving it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is what I'm going to miss for sure with the Delvers campaign. Um, the thing I'm looking most forward to getting back into the Waste is, you know, Bo's extremely creative and extremely out there, and he's very, very hard to predict and he has a really strong knack for kind of capturing your imagination. And I've said this before, like Stanley lives inside me. And I I said earlier, it's because he is me, but like that, he seems like a real person to me because I've spent so much time in his head and having to think about how does he interpret this event? What does he think of this? What, what about this? That, he's kind of become alive in a way that Ko was more like I picked my character before I got into a video game. Like, you know, he's cool. He's awesome character. I like him, but you know, he's kind of a, he's a bit of a template. And I think there's just something about Bo's 
like the way he handles things that that kind of gets under my skin a little bit um and and kind of lives in my brain and i'm i'm really looking forward to to that element of it because that's definitely something that i feel like he's so he's so good at with what he does yeah i agree i am i i wouldn't have much to add to that except there is a chaos to it that i'm looking forward to messing around with again kyle how about you it's incredibly hard to metagame him and with the structure we had for delvers if you thought about it too much, it's very easy to be like, okay, so Kyle's the kind of guy that's not going to give us two fights in a row today. Plus, we know we want to meet this schedule and, and this sort of show business. So I can use my bigger powers now, and I won't be afraid of not getting that short rest or long rest that I might need. So as a as a longtime D&D player, it is extremely stressful and fun to play in Bo's world because... You can't metagame him. Yeah. You can't predict what he's up to. And you also get a lot of custom monsters. Like the, some of the hardest fights for me as Varel have been when I know full well what that is over there. And I know because I played it, it's it's weak to this and it's strong against this. And I'm having to fake it the whole time uh, and do things that are unoptimized in my own head. I'm going, no, <laughs> I, I know I should grab a torch and hit it with that because it's weak to fire. But I'm not going to do that because that'd be inside knowledge. And so many times we just fight an angel robot man and you have no idea on paper what that is over there. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, you know what? Now that you've said it that way, that's kind of what I'm looking forward to is that, you know, you would do a hook horn. We'd all go, oh, yeah, hook horns. We, we know what that is. I mean, right. Or the, the construct where I'm like, well, I'm going to hit him with a psychic dagger. I'm pretty sure this isn't going to work. And Kyle totally got me on that when he's like. How do you finish it? And I'm like, oh man, it worked. Cool. Yeah. I do this. This is what I do. And he's like, yeah, that would have been awesome, but you didn't do it at all. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> that was a pretty good moment. I enjoyed that. Uh, next question for Kyle Did Grinkeeper circumvent a big boss battle by cutting the hoses connected to the large statue being built in the hall? Also, what was your reaction behind the DM screen to Co's spider climb awesomeness? Were you surprised by how effective it was? That was really awesome. I mean, we we hid Co had his Spider-Man bag of clothes he would change into. Like there was a lot of Spider-Manisms to Co that I played into. I knew it would fascinate John and he'd have a lot of fun with it. But the spider climbing thing was completely made up on the spot. We had Dharma Edstream there, who's a wizard who I made the character sheet for. And yeah, she had spider climb, so it ended up working out. And that was really cool. So the big boss battle and the cutting hoses, yes, that would have been an iron golem. And an iron golem is a level 15 encounter. Oh, geez. Oh, geez. So the reason why you guys fought the double golems in the split puzzle dungeon with Ben was because I had to introduce the idea that golems were immune to psychic attacks to Ko, so that if they went the route that they fought the iron golem, the giant statue of the Kalazar, it wouldn't be a surprise in the final battle because mm. that'd be cheap. So we had to oh. introduce that counter early on. Uh, plus there was like the, the, the Bahir dungeon where there was the golem that had been split open and the Bahir was running around in there and there's that kind of part of your brain that goes, oh man, with a, a stone golem, I wonder if that's hard to fight. How cool. And you kind of want to see what a stone golem fight would be like. And so we got to actually enjoy that. Yeah. But the entire, the, the Kalazar statue was a different climax in a number of ways. So one thing that could have happened completely is the Delvers just fart off. Like season... Season three happens. They're loving doing all these little dungeons. They're not really tied to the main quest. Cassius disappeared. And they're like, whatever. It's fine. We're just going to go adventure. We want to get rich. Splendorbelt wants money. Co wants money. Grinkeeper's just feeding evil. And nobody goes down there. Yeah. So there's a world where time elapses so far. All the, the elves have been missing for over three months. And they complete the statue. And it comes above ground and starts destroying the town. Oh, jeez. And the other thing that could have happened, which was very real and very likely in some ways, 
was that you all from the top of the dune said, all right, we've got 10 minotaurs. We've got multiple silver leagues charge. And you all charge down that hill. And in that way, the guards with their psychic spears would have met you first. And inside the Kalazar would have been taken from his bed, inserted into his sarcophagus. And that would have been plugged into the back of the golem. And then the golem would have marched out and I have the button ready here. (laughs) That's pretty cool. That's pretty good. And it would have been marching and it would have done a as it came out. And then it would have been it would have been eye lasers and big slammy weapons and he would have been decimating, you know, basically taking this huge force that you all invaded with and very much working to cut it down Mm. in size because you charged. Right. (laughs) And because that's that's the the climax you chose. Now, on the back end of that, you def- the boss goes down, the Kalazar's body's there, you still kind of do the other fight on the other side. But Ko's spider climb business and stealth circumvented that entire thing, which was absolutely available to him. And that's why the the robot did nothing. Okay. The, the giant uh, iron golem did nothing because that was the path you all chose, and you all embraced Ko being a part of that and let him have that stealth time as part of our show. So we skipped it. Love it. Yeah, now everybody's going to be mad at me, though, because I made the robot not happen. What? No, dude, you're stopping so good, man. Like, I was relieved because I was so worried that if we didn't take the guards out, they would have hurt the the innocent people, the mind-controlled people. So, like, oh, that whole scene, I was on edge. Yeah, yeah that's what I thought, too. And you know, instead we got Die Hard, and I thought Die Hard was pretty. Die good, Hard was so good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. 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 Everyone likes great. Die Hard. Who doesn't like Die Hard? I still want to see drawings of the Delvers. All right, what would uh, and then what would have happened if Splendor Belt had lost his death saving rolls? What would have happened to the farm, to his employees, and would Paylor have brought him back for his heroism? Ooh, that's a great question. I mean, Kyle would have to answer a lot of that, but I, you know, I didn't have a will. So, um, it would be a regret that I didn't tell Gleepoma or whoever to, that, Hey, if I'm killed in one of these, and I pr- probably should have thought of that because we were always doing stuff that could kill me. Um, I probably should have said, look, this is all yours if I die. Uh, cause that's what I probably would have done is just given it to those guys and let them run it. Definitely not giving it to mob guy. He'll, he'll take his hunk no matter what, but, but yeah, I, I would have done that. But had I died, I don't know, Kyle, what would you have done? Well, if you would have died, died, uh, but everyone else had a resurrection, right? Revivify. So she would have brought you back. Definitely. So I would have had to kill everybody for Splendor Belt to die for good. Right. <laughs> and that storyline is kind of interesting because there was a very real reality where you guys would have, you know, kaput down there. The, the Kalazar was hitting hard and it was, it was rather tense towards the end. If you had completely failed, what would have happened was the Kalazar would have completed his giant robot, which, of course, like just like I never I, I, I never said pyramid until we got to the pyramid. I never said mummy for as long as possible. I would have never said giant robot there because that's cheesy. Yeah. However, when I say a statue's marching up and, and the music's playing, like you're like, ah, yeah, it's kind of a giant robot. Yeah, I got plugged in the back. It's basically like an Ava unit. It's a Gundam. Yep. Yeah. But. As long as you don't say those things, it can it can remain its own thing. So he would have completed his his statue. Uh, he would have mind controlled the Delvers now as his evil lieutenants. Oh yeah. Oh no. And they would have all gone up above, and much like Ko saw in that vision, they would have built flying pyramids, and the Kalazar's kingdom would have reigned above ground, and eventually, likely allied with the Vampire Nation. And no. <laughs> <laughs> And then oh, they mummies be, and vampires, yeah, no. working together, eventually becoming mummy vampires. This is the it, universal dark universe. I, I saw this. Yeah, well, it's we inevitable. It got canceled. Yeah, but, you, know. <laughs> you you <laughs> thought you might see more of it, but no, it's done. Out. So the the world would have been on its way to end. Is basically the answer there. Oh, uh, wow. But if if Slenderbelt had gone down and Grinkeeper had gone down, there is a world where Paylor would bring him back for his service, um, likely as 
a guardian or a spirit of some kind that protects the farm rather than a full-blown hero. Yeah. You know, it's that, weird. that would cheapen the world. Sure. What's weird is, um, uh, I wasn't going to say if, if, uh, Oh, uh, it would have been more strange to me had I died because we have so many, we have, a, we have a pretty deep health pool in terms of healing and, and spells and revivals and, like bring them back to one hit point and you know we had a lot of stuff in our arsenal so it would have gotten worse if i had died but i had a very little chance of doing that given that you know in in particular grinkeeper had all kinds of stuff to help me and um we would have we would have survived that probably no matter what but if i had been a ranger or some other you know we were less health health focused in our builds probably would have been a little more dire that day The next question, what Final Fantasy 14 slash WoW job would all of your characters play? <laughs> Is this signed by a a, a, a yay, a yawn, J- Jonger? Like a, a, somebody that sounds like John's name, but not quite? Mm. Mm. No. Not me, John Jagger, 21? Yeah. That's him. Yeah, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah. Not John Jagger. No. That's how you know it's not me. <laughs> Um, uh, this yeah. one's real easy for Ko. Yeah. In fact, it, it actually kind of fits the Final Fantasy path because uh, in that, you Rogue is not one of the initial classes you can even pick. You have to get to level 10 before you can even do it. So he probably would have been a Scholar, then a, turn that into a Rogue at level 10, and then at level uh, 30 or whenever it happens uh, and you get your new job, he'd be a ninja. So he would be a ninja right now. Nice. Just like John. Well, no, you did Dinda for a while, and then you went back, right? Yeah, I'm a dancer now. Dan- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, did you have to go tell your Final Fantasy father that you've decided to give up on a lifelong dream of ninja, and now you just want to be a dancer? And then I want to dance. <laughs> What's a <the> dance, father? <laughs> uh, I don't know enough about the game to say. Um, I liked the dragoon a lot when I did play. I know that was just a starting job to lead to other things, but I really liked it. So maybe that, I guess that's the only experience I really have is that Dragoon. You can pick a WoW class. They said slash WoW. Oh, they, they did. Gave you, they? they gave you an out. Um, that's fair. Eileen, uh, hmm. that's a great question. Major Hunter. That's the way I'd go. Caster or shooting shit from far away. Actually, either way, I'm shooting shit from far away. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Kristen? It uh, looks like there are paladins at level one in the job guide. So, Green oh yeah, you just be right there then. True, should be a paladin regardless, Final Fantasy or WoW. Yeah, Kyle, if you, I mean, I know you DM'd, but what would you, what would you do? Oh God. <laughs> uh I mean, Varel would definitely be a a warrior, and then yeah, I guess I guess a warrior in both, since there's not really a barbarian he ain't got those magics you know no, no. he's just out there yeah well ne- either there way being... you'd have to have like massive bonus to persuasion because i've seen what you've done to uh, to uh, garrett and uh, i don't know how you did it so <laughs> you'd have to have like plus 20 to persuasion so every roll was at least 20 or higher or something because that seemed impossible what you did <laughs> i don't know well, how perhaps as a gamer i'm a bard then maybe whispering <laughs> in the ears yeah. Come play this game. <laughs> Come play with us. You want to play this game? <laughs> you guys are killing me. I have a question for Scott. Scott. Yeah. Seriously, why potatoes? <laughs> um, who wrote that? What's the name? Uh, Jeppers Two. Jeppers Two. I I want to know more about that name, Jeppers. But uh, for now, I'll answer it thusly. I think I kind of answered this before. Um, and maybe I wasn't being serious about it. And so now he's saying seriously, why potatoes? Um, it was originally kind of like a humble idea. It was this humbling kind of like, oh, you know, follower of Paylor. Uh, not, he's not super flamboyant about, his, about his, his belief classes or abilities. He just wants to sort of, you know, I don't know. He's just kind of a bare bones kind of dude. And what is the most bare bones thing you can think of that you could grow and feed people with? And to me, it's always potatoes for whatever reason. It's like some kind of starch because it can, you can spread it wide. You know, you can use it you can get more out of it per person than you could, you know, lettuce or something. 
Um, and often, you know, when, when, uh, populations are in a situation of famine or otherwise potatoes are often what saves them. So to me, that was like his, you know, he's just focused on what's, what's a basic staple. What's a thing that will get people by at the, at the very least it gets them by. And then you can, you know, you can grow from there. You can make all kinds of fancy stuff with potatoes as well, but starting at a very low level, the most common, common person in, in the city could subsist on a potato and that appealed to him and me, I guess. I don't know and if that helps have... Jeppers. <laughs> I hope it does. That's a good answer. Yeah. And then we've got one final thing. Cause I remember this coming up maybe a month ago, two months ago or something, but it was requested that Kyle gives us a tour of his voices, both with and without the voice changer. Oh, this, oh geez. This okay. Cool. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, so I mean, <laughs> probably Chad Brad's the most ridiculous because I'm literally sitting there going, "Ooh, it's the voice changer that makes that work." Like, it's hard to explain. Why then I turn it off and I'm just going like this, <laughs> and I'm just sitting here talking like this, wow. trying not to laugh the whole that, time. That's revealing to hear that without it. That's weird. Very weird. Now I question everything. Uh, wait, who, who? I mean, we've we done we've done Mr. Goodwine, and certainly that's that's been without the voice changing. You know, you got to you kind of put it in the back of your throat, and then you just turn it off, and you're basically sitting here, kind of talking like this to yourself, <laughs> like some magic. And then, and then, of course, as they laugh more, I'd start really elongating the words, and then Marvin would show up. I need to say while we're doing this, just because I just thought of this, Kyle has permanently ruined people saying that somebody is their friend for me, (laughs) which is something that people say a lot. But whenever I hear somebody say, Oh yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're a good friend of mine. Like as soon as anybody acknowledges a friend, I just have Kyle in the back of my head going, cause you're such a good friend. You're my very good friend. Just my, my best friend. And it just plays nonstop. Anytime anybody uses the word friend around me, he has permanently etched himself upon that word yeah. with Mr. Goodwine. Yeah. It's kind of hard now to that, avoid. That one's actually kind of interesting because it actually increases my volume. So when I made the Goodwine voice with the voice changer, I had to do a little bit of whisper and because it just, otherwise it gets too loud and too peaky. Yeah. So it's kind of a result of that. I mean, a lot of it is, is me just, wait, I, I, this would be, uh, oh, yes, this was, the evil, the evil would come around. So you had like, um, Rutharamod, and you're sitting here, and you're just doing a lot of elongating <laughs> and making sure everything is very tasty. And when the voice changer picks that up, that's a sort of elegance to it. Oh, what about the poofs? Oh, yeah, let's hear the poofs. Here we go. This was like, hi. I'm Toot. And when you really, <laughs> and you can play with it when you go really high. Because that would give it. <laughs> and, ooh. So you, oh, welcome to the deep. Wind Springs. <laughs> I'm Poop. And the more you'd like, ooh. It's funny. So it's really, it was the flump, right? Yeah, the flumps, okay. the little fart creatures. Funny side note, the flump that I drew that day, that episode where you introduced that voice, is the most uh, is the most feedback I've gotten on any of the pieces that we did for season three. Like, people really, really glommed onto the flump. Like, people were like, my kid's favorite character from D&D is then. We want, is there t-shirts? Is there dirt? And I'm like, well, not really, but maybe we could. You know, like that kind of stuff. It was crazy. The flump was a big hit. What else? The only other thing I think I have still programmed right now from season three was the old rat <laughs> who was just screaming. And that was just me sitting here going like this. No, yeah. no. Uh, that's great. Very cool. Nice to look into the, uh, the Foley world of Kyle Ferguson. Nice job. And those are your questions, everybody. Well done, man. Great ones this time. And uh, we'll do it again. 
uh, at the very end of this month or very start of December, depending on how things go. But uh, we do them monthly, and it's because you guys support us at therewillbedungeons.com. Please keep that up, because if you do, well, I will keep doing it. Uh, I think that's everything. As far as schedule goes, um, we're going to be, we start the, uh, we start back with Waste next week, is it? Yeah, next week. Okay, so next Saturday, 2 p.m. Mountain Time, we do a live stream, uh, frogpants.tv, if you want to be there. Uh, that's when we do our show most normal weeks anyway, but um, starting back up on the Waste with Bo in the hot seat, and uh, that'll be next week, so you're going to want to be there for that. Uh, if you'd rather just get the podcast version, you know how to get it. You're listening to it already. All the details for any of this is at therewillbedungeons.com. That'll do it for us, for me, for John, for Kristen, and for Kyle. We'll see you next time. <laughs>